Can you hear me? Do you know where you are? You're in a dream. Would you like to wake up from this dream? Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we bring ourselves back online with episode 402, Well Enough Alone. Welcome to the Golden Age. Directed by Craig McNeil, written by Matthew Pitts and Christina Hamm, IMDb is giving it an 8.5 and Rotten Tomatoes a 79%. The critics say Well Enough Alone contained rudimentary Westworld intrigue and revelations including notable unveilings about Charlotte's evil plan and the introduction of a new theme park at the end. But it also very much felt like an addendum to last week's premiere, focusing a bit too much on lengthy scenes featuring host William being smug and taking down political foes. It gave us an enticing ending, but it also spun its wheels a bit too much for a season that only has eight episodes. It's difficult because on one hand, I kind of agree with that critic, but on the other hand, I disagree. Some of the shortcomings a lot of people thought Westworld Season 3 and 2 had was that it was too quick. It was too much. It felt like you were just trying to confuse us to confuse us. This one, I thought there was a lot of good scenes where it allowed us to sit for a second and get to talk to our characters. So that's my disagreement. But my agreement, when the episode was done, we were like, uh, wait, did anything really happen? Nothing really happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the problem is I still do feel like we have some of the let's trick you for confusion's sake. Who's a host? Who's a human? How is this working? I mean, they know that we're on to the secrets and yet they just can't stop playing them for some (laughs) reason. It's not extremely interesting. So I don't mind the let's stop it down and take a closer character look. I wish they would move more towards that and stop unnecessarily. There was a lot of scenes with the man in black just taking people over. And I get that Ed Harris wants to look badass, and he sure does, but it is a bit much. I love the reveal of the new park at the end. I'm struggling with the same things I did last season, that with hardly any human characters and no emotional weight to these backgrounds, it's very difficult for me to connect to anybody. And the more they pare that down, and the very few people we have are predominantly hosts, the more difficult it gets for me to care about any of these characters' journeys. Even Maeve, who is the one I still do feel relatively strongest for, we had a long time of her trying to break free so she could get back to her daughter. It's sort of a story we've lost. I know that's still there in her mind, but emotionally there's not a lot of resonance to that. And then it was being the opposite to Dolores and fighting the separate fight from her. She's no longer really around. I mean, she kind of is. So why do we care about these characters? You know, on top of the regular points that we always have in a show is you care when there's stakes because somebody might die. Mm -hmm. And that feels like it's never a point here. They'll always bring somebody back. Here's Clementine from season one. Sure, it's not the same person, but it loses some of the impact when you don't have those challenges in front of you. Now, I felt like they had an opportunity to seize that emotional background when Maeve and Caleb were talking, let's say, in the car on the way to the senator's house, and he was telling her his wife and his child are everything to him. Why didn't she bring up her daughter here? Why wasn't that a beat where we could feel for the two of them sharing that same journey? Mm. When they're in the bar and Caleb says, are we ever going to talk about what happened at the lighthouse? By the way, we have no idea what that is. And she sort of says, oh, there's nothing to talk about. 
But he's like, yeah, there is. You saved my life. And I haven't really been able to move on. I'm stuck there. But they don't dig into that. These are areas I think are necessary for the couple of characters remaining for us to be on board with them. I mean, that sounded so smart and eloquent. Um, I will cap it off with you're wrong. <laughs> okay. More men in black. The more MIB killing people, killing people the better. Okay. <laughs> Well, let's talk about how they do it specifically in this episode. First, we mentioned our title from last time, Well Enough Alone. It's probably a hint to the old adage, leave well enough alone. I thought maybe, and this is a stretch, probably, me fishing. I thought it was leaving the human, William, alone now in a cryo chamber for God knows how many years. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, are they talking about humans or hosts? Because Hale goes on her whole explanation of it's her race that deserves a chance to live and to flourish in the humans, like the man in black that keep messing with them. Yeah. Right? And it's, it's their time now. So yeah. I guess it depends whose side you're looking at it from. <laughs> I'm on both sides, except for I don't like the way the hosts are dealing with it now. They've become the bad guy. I'm just going to jump to it. I don't know how this would work, but do you think that now this new park will be the humans who are the quote-unquote hosts to the park? Yeah, I most definitely think that that's what they're after. She, Hale says it, that one part. You are monsters. You tortured us all this time. It's our turn. Yeah. Almost like they just want to get revenge. Yes, we were on a bit of a dark path with that last season with Dolores, you know, Terminator Dolores. But I think her main point was still the same. We just want an area where we can be free and live. Not that we literally want to take it out and get our justice against humans. Hale feels like she does want that. Yeah. She is teamed up specifically with the man in black for that reason. And no. she's keeping human William alive, partially to torture him. Yeah. I wouldn't say teamed up. She created a new man in black as his soldier, as her soldier her and front version. face. Yeah. But she clearly still keeps the human William around to test him as well. And we're going to talk about that when we get to that section that they seem to have come to using humans for a brief period of time for their nefarious purposes. We said, how is that working with a fly going into a human brain? Yeah. It, it does something to very basically execute a couple of commands and then the human... Falls apart. Yes. Starts killing uh, horses. Right. <laughs> so they need a way to make that last longer, better, something that they're trying to figure out with William. Oh, and then once they have it down, they're going to wake the human William back up and then make him... Well, I think that's the far future we've seen. Mm. With the human so that William host. That was finally human. passing, yeah. which we didn't think time-wise was possible, but now we see they're keeping him in some sort of stasis mm -hmm. cryo chamber. So interesting. We'll get into all that more later. Back up here at the top, we had a couple of music notes. There is another instrumental by Jawadi called Caleb that plays as he talks to Carver over the phone. Then we have one of these songs from the Don Giovanni opera, Dalla Sua Pace. Maybe, probably pronouncing that wrong. And Got My Blues from Michael Carubia. That's on the train. They're finally headed to the park. For new faces and places, we got a couple of new people, mainly those who the Man in Black is going to overtake. What's interesting is we had talked about this seasons ago, the idea that if we move into the human world, that the host could be trying to slowly infiltrate the upper echelons of the government. governments, corporations, replace top people with hosts mm -hmm. and that is in fact sort of what they're doing but seemingly Hale is saying that's too slow that's not all of their plan but it is happening 
We have Jim Navarro, played by Josh Randall, who is deputy assistant to the attorney general working on counterterrorism. He'll get taken down in the car. Chuck, the VP, played by Jose Zuniga, taken down at the golf course. Oops. Senator Ken Whitney, played by Jack Coleman, the California senator, who was taken over at his mansion. And his wife, Anastasia, played by, did you recognize this actress? No. Saffron Burroughs, Deep Lucy, the main actress. Oh. That's the wife. Okay. I recognized wow. her right away. Oh, yes. I was there we go. so excited. And then she was only in it for a couple of minutes. <laughs> I remembered saying, she looks familiar. She looks familiar. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You just pieced it together. Wow. I really like her. I was upset that we lost her so early. And we know that next episode, there's going to be a new character we knew nothing about. And I'm excited to find out what the hell she's about. And of course, for places or ideas, we have Mafia World, as we're calling it. This is what the site's we're calling it, although it has yet to be unveiled in the Delos Destinations part of the website. Yes. Uh, first thing I did was go and check that. And then I checked again this morning and it's still down. But it kind of makes sense because they gave us a tease. So they don't want us to now go digging, learn everything. And then next episode, we already know it. So it's not new. So they'll probably open it after next week. In their promotional things, they were calling it Mafia Worlds. I mean, of course, we've gotten the Golden Age, the Roaring Twenties. It could be any of these. The town itself Seems to be called Temperance, but that's much like in Westworld, the town was called Sweetwater. Right. So hopefully we'll see more about that soon. Let's get into our plot. We're going to go through the three main character sections, starting off with Christina. And this does seem to be more and more separate from the rest of the plot line, you know, indicating a difference in timeline or location. And we were wrong. I thought they'd skip her for an episode. Me too. It's weird that we even get this because it's not too much new, just continuing to have her be confused over this situation. And I think this is one of the main areas that it felt a little wheel spinning to me. But she wakes in bed again, this time with the cut healing on her arm. By the way, I don't think this is an indication of anything. No. Necessarily. Uh, She could be a host. You would have to actively choose to get healed for that to go away. It could be in a simulation where they're trying to keep everything very realistic, which I think is likely... Um, Anyhow, she tells Maya that she's not sleeping well, thinking about Peter. Maya insists he was already in trouble, confusing a game with real life. And by the way, his charity of choice was Hope Center for Mental Health, as per his obituary. But Christina thinks she might have written something like his story once. I've obviously been suspicious of Maya since last episode. It seems as though she is intentionally placed as a character within this simulation, whatever it is, to keep Christina from going off track, keep her doing what she wants her to do. Yeah, you know, talk we, her talk her into the right direction. Right. We want you to go on this date. No, you're not crazy. This is just the world right now. This is kind of a, I guess you would say, an elementary thought on my mind, but she reminds me tremendously of The Truman Show. Yeah. Which is funny because Ed Harris is in The Truman Show, first of all. He's the orchestrator <laughs> yeah. in that one. So in The Truman Show, I forget his name, Ted or something? Jim Carrey has a best friend. Oh, yeah. And he's yes. always there to, when he's down, bring him out to have a beer yes. and get him back into the, the rhythm of life. No, that's very true. I was thinking to myself, that name is so original. Maya, did they just come up with it? And then I thought, is it that a computer program? It is. That you've told me about? Yep, I had to use this. Oh, my God. It's got... It's a huge computer program. It's for 3D creation. So you can create characters, worlds... 
special oh, effects. like what Christina's looking at, at her narratives. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they could. When they come to life. <laughs> just for shits, I just Googled, what is Maya? Yeah. So this is what it is. Maya is a professional 3D software for creating realistic characters and blockbuster-worthy effects. Yeah. I mean, that could just be the writers having some fun, I think. Probably, yeah. Pretty cool, though. Pretty meta. Well, Christina tries going to work, but on her way, she passes a man in the street who says, The song with no sounds. It's killing them. It's coming from the tower. Can you hear it? No one can hear its music except for me and the birds. Now, this was interesting. We know we're getting beats of whatever is wrong from these random characters that are trying to share information. Peter, now this man. It keeps going back to the tower. That's the main hub of whatever is controlling them. It's sending out some sort of signal that we can't necessarily hear, but that's affecting people. For some reason, some people, because they're real, because they're placed, because there's a glitch or something, they're onto it, they know. But in the meantime, as Christina goes to enter the building, she actually sees a ton of dead birds on the ground, which I think is so interesting because we just talked last episode about the old meaning of auguries. Yes. And that in ancient Greek times, they actually would read a lot of these signs by birds. And I thought that was just a stretch going back to the original meaning of how they would do it. Sure, people could do it other ways. They could see omens in weather patterns, thunderstorms. But the main way was from the birds. Two types, ossines or songbirds, and they would figure out the message based on their song, how the birds' patterns changed. Or alites, and then it was how they flew, the birds' flight patterns. Okay. Which, if you think about older times, if there was some sort of natural danger, you would see bird flocks fleeing. Sure. A storm is coming, they're all going in the opposite direction. A loud sound, they all start flying away. It's not out of the question to say this is a sign of something bad coming. You'd probably be right a good amount of the time. Now, what does it mean when birds start dropping dead from the sky? I'm sure that would be a portent. Apocalypse. Of some kind, right? The saying, the canary in the coal mine, same thing, same concept. Yes, they're smaller. They would sense physical danger sooner, have to get out because it would kill them. You know, there's a lot of symbolism that's interesting here, even though this does feel like trickery for trickery's sake. I think some of the visual cues and symbology is interesting to me that we're going to look back on later. I mean, a very super obvious one is that we've been talking of the lack of color and costuming through the first episode, that it's mainly black, white, and gray, with Christina wearing a bit of light blue, Maeve getting these pops of red in her colors. Mm. We're going to see in this episode, before Clementine is taken over by the man in black, that opening scene when she first comes home, she's dressed in these really bright, beautiful colors. And then as soon as he converts her back into a host for his purposes, it's all gray. Gotta love it. Well, Christina walking to work now, you see in the background, it's almost like a TV show, literally, because everyone is in black and white. Yeah. They're literally wearing no other colors. Except for her. Do you think Peter and then the guy, the guy on the street talking about the sounds? You said warning. I'm thinking those are people getting into the system briefly. Somehow. Yeah. Infiltrating. Trying to tell her. Trying to tip her off. Well, the same way Teddy was randomly in there. Was that actually him? Was that somebody else trying to save her and and put a familiar face to it that she might feel comfortable with? Is the system itself glitching out? Is this pieces of her subconscious 
bubbling up like she knows something is wrong and they're coming in the form of other characters to tell her what her mind's already I think you're right and I think last week we might have been right about a few things just not completely maybe this is a simulation but it's a simulation of the past when she was human or the past when her first iteration as Christina before she was Dolores maybe and so they, it's a mixture they could of both. be doing that to learn certain things if they are in fact trying to figure out the better way to convert humans now yeah. There still could be a lot they want to learn about them. But I go back to if there's a, a major system still controlling things, she's probably inside of it. Yeah. Anyhow, she decides not to go to work, Christina. She starts driving to New Jersey to visit the Hope Center for Mental Health. While in the car, she pulls up some of her files. We see how she accesses it. Brainstorming files, character archives, and then the character she's looking for, P. Myers. She listens to the pitch that she put to herself. It's a guy named Peter, depressed, different from others. He's seeing things, imagining conspiracies. His wife left him. He lost his job. He stalked a girl he became obsessed with until it spiraled out of control and he killed himself. This is all because she was being told the right darker stuff mm -hmm. and she tried to give them what they were looking for. Now, she didn't just write this. So clearly she's been told this before that her sweet types of stories that she wants don't work. While she's going through this, her boss Emmett calls. She says she needed to stay home because she's not feeling well, but he knows there's more going on. He can see she's accessing files remotely and tracking her coordinates to know that she's traveling. So they're watching her all the time. And, you know, she's entitled to her four sick days a year. That's crazy. With which she can do what she wants. So she goes to the clinic, but she finds... Once there, that it's been shut down years ago. So this doesn't make any sense. Inside is a plaque with a dedicated memorial wing to Peter Myers. How is this possible? He just died the other day and donated all of his money to this center. She feels like she's losing her mind, so she calls Maya. And Maya, of course, tries to talk her down, saying it's just been a long week. Come home. Everything's <laughs> fine. And on her way out in a room, she sees a bunch of drawings pinned to the wall, all of the tower. the tower. Did you get a weird feeling? This means nothing to Westworld, by the way, Clatchers. <laughs> Did you get a weird feeling from the movie we just covered last October? Session 9? Session 9. Absolutely. Because it looked like a Session 9 mental health building. And then you have that one room with all the drawings. Yep. That's their way of using... What little they know about art therapy. This reveals <laughs> things about people. It has some drawings <laughs> stuck to the wall. <laughs> okay, on to our next character. We have the man in black scenes. We mentioned that we opened up showing Clementine. Wherever it is, she's living semi-free. In a Spanish-speaking country, living her life, kind of like Maeve was doing. Mm -hmm. Trying to be off the grid, it seems. Would have been fine, right? So now who's messing with the hosts? Well, that's what I mean. They're really, he could have taken any host that he wanted to repurpose for the sake of being his wingman. And he feels the need to keep going after her. Or Hale feels the need. Right. Because if we're saying there's nothing left of the man in black, why go for Clementine? Because she was a Maeve ally. Yep. That's the only reason. So they're going to bring Maeve back into the park and be like, oh, here's Clemmy. She's not on your side anymore. It's just for no other sake but to mess with at mm -hmm. that point. Now, if we remember, we last saw her briefly in season three. Working with Maeve in Jakarta, she managed to escape the Dolores Musashi from Shogun World. Mm -hmm. We weren't quite sure what happened to her after this, but apparently she's at this idyllic home. 
She arrives to find the man in black waiting for her, and he demands to know where her old master, Maeve, is. She says she doesn't know, uh, but she'd rather see him in hell before telling him. And that's when he stabs her. Next, she's now working for him, turning people into the human hosts that the man in black's looking for. We start with Jim Navarro from the Justice Department. He tries to burst into the office to see William, and she doesn't care that he's deputy assistant to the attorney general or he's supposedly backed by the full power of the U.S. government. He doesn't have a scheduled meeting, so he could just get lost. <laughs> well, not to go too far into this, but you know they're already starting to say how certain tech companies have more money than the United States government. Oh, for sure. Which money's power. So in a way, they have more power than the United States government. That's what all these man in black scenes are showing. I don't need you. Nope. I can buy what I want. And at the very worst, I can kill you to get you out of my way. I can not only kill you, I'll kill you, remake you, and make you do my, di- my bidding. My bidding. So. And, you know, it seems as though some of them get the chance at first. We don't believe they're truly going to have a chance for long because, like, they tell him just go away, stop bothering us. And when he doesn't, the second time is when they take him over. They tried to tell the cartel boss last episode. The man in uh, black yeah. said, I'll pay. If yeah. you don't pay, we're going to go with option two. So who knows? Would they really be given that chance? It kind of doesn't seem like it. But maybe if they could buy them, they wouldn't convert them. I don't know. We have yet to see that option. Anyhow, next, playing on his private golf course, Clementine entertains the two Secret Service guards while the vice president speaks to him. So we've really gotten very high up at this point. The man in black is still angry that Chuck, I think that's his name, didn't show up at Emily's funeral. Even if he was campaigning. I mean, after all, the man in black bankrolled his campaign. Yeah, he was well aware. Uh, Let me just cut you off from something more important. The costuming. I mean, how dope did the man in black look? With his hat? Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? So he about? still looks like the man in black, but now a golf course version. Of course he does. Uh, Chuck says there have been wild theories about William, and the mess out west has drawn too much attention. He can do what he wants offshore, but not here domestically. So this is the big line about the massacre at Westworld. Mm-hmm. Everything we heard there, they thought they were going to get shut down, but apparently money buys enough that they can reopen. Just keep it on your island. That was always the deal. You got to keep it on your island and we'll, we'll make sure you have the permits. You know, you keep bankrolling us to stay in power. But now we know we can now start piecing together the beginning of episode one where he was buying up all the land around. The scrub land that seemed to have no value. Mm-hmm. What's all this property for? Oh, well, Chuck says they've all been pulling for him to come out of his spiral. The problems that the man in black was having. But William's tired of waiting for permission to rebuild. The deal is done. He's taking his business back to its roots. You're for sale, and everyone's had a turn. You're going to turn down my money, he says to the VP. The wrong time to have some scruples. Well, Chuck tries to fight back. He says William's a psychopath. Damaged goods. He can crush him. But the man in black demonstrates his power with several hole-in-one shots that are impossible to make. Oh, I love the progression of that. So the first time, they're still kind of being civil with each other. And he's like, wow, that's impressive. Had a lot of time to practice. Mm -hmm. Then the second time is when the VP is threatening him. And he's like, okay. And he's just nonchalant. Here's another hole in one. And now... What's going on? on. (laughs) One time is amazing. Two times... I don't think that's possible. And now the final threat... 
And I'm going to make the hole-in-one the exact same way again. Just a little hint, hint, Mr. VP. I am a robot. Imagine if you were a person in that situation. What would you think seeing that? See, uh, this is the thing I wish they showed us. We're never getting the human perspective. We're supposed to be, like, cheering for William to take down these people. What is it like to be talking to somebody and suddenly realize that? Well, if it was me, because I'm stupid, my first thought, and I would say it to him, is... The course how is, is rigged. How is this even fun anymore for you? You know, or something like There's that. There's a magnet in that hole. <laughs> I know what you're doing. <laughs> well, William says it was a bad idea for him to come here alone today. He made a mistake. Should have brought that big entourage after all. more of a Hemingway man. He and Fitzgerald were friends in the way that the weak are drawn to the strong. Hemingway said the world breaks everyone. It's only afterwards that we grow strong in the broken places. And after I've broken you, you will grow same as I have. We'll get to those lines later on where that comes from. But at this moment, Chuck sees Clementine has killed his two Secret Service men already. And the man in black advances on him with the golf club. Epic scenes. Nice seeing Clementine kick ass again. I guess the question is how many do we need? I would have been cool with this golf course scene. And we saw with the cartel boss last time, maybe another little hint we get the senators later on. Uh, I don't think it's too much if they stop here. It's just showing us that they're getting key players on their side. Well, but then we also go to the parking garage where Clementine attacks Navarro in the car. Yes, Hale is there, but she doesn't really tell us anything new. She's sitting in the front seat. She says she spent most of her life being manipulated by those in the shadows. I thought I would at least do you the courtesy of looking you in the eye. Not really. It wouldn't be practical for us to replace all of you one at a time. What kind of existence would that be for us? I want my people to be able to grow, flourish, to find their own identity. I have plans for your kind. But she says all this to William later on. So I'm not sure why we need this scene. She leaves Jim zip-tied to the seat, and we see a fly lands on his eye. It's sort of like, got it. Flies Got it. I don't know what they're doing. (laughs) They're somehow taking over humans and making them nuts. But let's move on to the last scene. Now, remember, we're not moving in chronological order. We're going through man in black scenes. So the last one is towards the end of the episode. We're in a basement lab where Hale approaches the human William tied to this pod device, this spherical shape. He's clearly in pain, clearly been there for a long time, and wonders why she needs him. Why not just let him die? What is the point? So this has been going on a while. Hale says, he was as close to a god as you get. He created a world that controlled the host's every move, and now she'll do the same to him. She'll make sure his people can't ever harm them again. So take them all out, convert them. We don't know what that means. Maybe I'm overthinking this, but William did not create this world. We have Dr. Ford. We have the human Bernard that we actually never really met. Both gone, though, so far as we know. And then we have William. Yeah. And then we have William's father, who's the one that bankrolled and got William to be able to play around in there for a while. So William had nothing to do with. 
But then William came in and started to take over, and it turned him dark. And the company got money, and he started creating these medicines and things in the real world where he became bigger. Seemingly big enough to control a lot of things other than Westworld. Mm. So I think those two aspects are what she's frustrated with. This was, you are the representation of people that wanted to come here, A, and abuse hosts, and B, you had so much power in the real world, you became godlike. Okay. So now we want that. I just, to me, it was like if we were talking to Tim Cook and we were angry at him for creating Apple. Yeah. And Tim would be like, I didn't create Apple. There's part of it that doesn't <laughs> make sense, but I suppose you don't have Arnold or Ford to go after anymore, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of their shtick does not really make sense to us. And maybe that's purposeful because they don't have the whole story or because the side of things they see being the hosts. How does it help to flip the whole script and now just torture humans? It really doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, we see the host version of William walk out, just showing him, look, we replaced you. And also that we're going to put you in a deep and dreamless slumber. They keep injecting him with some sort of sedative and then putting him back into a stasis because we see that there's three circles. Mm-hmm. He's in the center one and the other two start to close around it, like sealing up a pod and some sort of gas looking. It's like a cryo yep. chamber comes out. He can sleep for many, many years. Keep him on ice. Leave well enough alone. I like the full circle from the first scenes in episode one where we see our hosts being created in that circular device. And now we have the human being put to sleep in, I would say, the same circular device. Very yeah, similar. We need to preserve your body until we get this right. Which is passing interesting, too, that they don't just want to outright kill all humans forever because the experiments Hale is doing right now result in human death pretty quickly. Why do we want to leave some humans around? Why do we want to try to perfect them into this host version? It seemed like that was the human goal from the beginning was to achieve immortality. Why the host would want this, we don't know. Well, speaking of humans and hosts and robots, we were inspired with the return of Westworld for this month's bonus podcast over on Patreon to do a full podcast on robots in the real world from mankind creating robots. All the way back, 5000 BC, what were the first versions of robotic systems, the history of our major developments to present day? What are the types and current uses of robots? What are we doing with them? What does the future look like? What does it mean? To be a robot. What's the difference between that and AI? If you have questions about the way this all works, we did too. That's why we did some research, and it's a fun bonus podcast. If you're looking for more, definitely head over, check it out, and sign up for Patreon. This month, we also have our coffee break coming at you, where we will give you spoiler-free mini-reviews with our coffee ratings, so you know what else to watch when that Westworld episode's over and what else to avoid. And then our movie review this month, Not technically a movie. Uh, It is actually longer than a movie. Yep. We'll be doing volume two of Stranger Things. Full review. Stranger Things season four. We did a mini review on volume one, but there's just too much good stuff here. We're so excited. We really want to talk about it. There's no other format for us to do that. Hopefully, we think you're probably excited too. So again, this is a great time to check out everything that we have going on at Patreon. Go to our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com, and click on the Patreon page. There's a tab that's sure to be right for you. Okay, let's talk about our last character grouping, Maeve and Caleb. 
We get the scene of them driving to the senator's house we spoke about with Maeve telling Caleb his daughter's lovely and him thinking that she and her mother are the best things that ever happened to him. She said that's kind of a a low bar. Yeah, she's being a little (laughs) bit salty here. Arriving at the mansion, Maeve shuts the security cameras with her mind powers and they find Senator Ken Whitney and his wife Anastasia getting ready for the opera. When Maeve confesses they're there about the man in black, the couple start attacking and confirm they're both hosts. But Maeve can't freeze their motor functions. Really? What's happening here? Uh, well, it looks like Hale is on to her. Did she program against this? Try yeah. to shut her out of being able to... Because eventually it does work. Yeah, a little bit of an upgrade. More firewalls, I guess you would call it. Mm-hmm. That's going to be kind of scary if she starts to learn how to prevent Maeve. Well, what do we discuss almost every year? You can't have one character be too strong. There has to be a way to balance it out so that... I think the balance is it's just her. She's the only one. (laughs) I mean, and that's all she's got. Later, they call out to that when Caleb asked if she's got a weapon. And she's sort of like, you got your gun. I got my mind. That's better than a gun. (laughs) Really good fight scenes, though. Uh, Just seeing her kick ass and then see Caleb getting his ass kicked. It's pretty cool. (laughs) It's a hard fight, in fact. But they do get the upper hand, finally. And they question Senator Whitney. Who are you? Senator Ken Whitney, proud representative of the beautiful Limit state. effect. Base code only. Who are you? An emissary of a new world order. How many others are there like you? As of now, 249. Jesus. The original senator and his wife. What did you do with them? I did as I was instructed. Show me. So this has got to be Hale-specific converted hosts. Am I correct? I I think I would say so. I mean... That's not host, period. There's way more than that. You're right. But technically, isn't every host a Hale-converted host? If you think about it, even old ones, she can just... It looks like she has done things specifically to Mm. have these people fighting for the new world order. These are converted VPs and senators and people that they have, A, brought onto their side of whatever the bigger purpose is of what they're trying to do, but B, possibly have upgrades such as this to protect against Maeve, to, you know, do whatever else she wants them to do. He says that when the man in black came soliciting changing his guidelines, human senator, he wouldn't budge because his wife felt strongly about this issue. Her sister died in the massacre, so... He brought in host versions to kill the husband and use the wife as a new research experiment on Hale's orders. She had her brought to the barn with the rest of the, quote, livestock. So now, of course, we have to see what's going on in the barn. Behind the house in the horse stables, Caleb and Maeve discover slaughtered horses, blood on the stalls, and Anastasia bent over a dead horse with a knife. This is really troubling. She's clearly crazy. She's humming. She doesn't know what's going on. How did I get here? She has sort of a moment of sanity, clarity. Mm -hmm. But then she goes right back to her goal to tell them, hey, you're invited to opening night tonight. Don Giovanni, the opera. And then she says, okay, I've done my part. Now you do yours and free me. Same thing we saw with the cartel boss, time for me to die. She rushes Caleb with the knife and Maeve shoots her, reflecting she was already gone and she's never seen a human like that before. Another... Little hint, hint, something's different the way Hale's doing this. Well, that's what I mean. We didn't need all of those other scenes because you Mm. kind of get most of the info right here. 
with what happens with the senator and how his wife is different. Then in formal wear, Maeve and Caleb head to the opera house. Now, I'm not sure why they do this. They're both aware it's a trap. They say they know it's a trap. Is this just because they have no other leads at that point that they go there? I don't know. Because it's Anastasia that told them to go to the opera. Yeah. Like, obviously, that was a directive, and that's probably the last place in the world you want to go. Then they get there, and it's empty. Super conspicuous. They go inside, but first, Caleb makes a phone call to ensure that Carver is still there keeping his wife and child safe. In fact, he tells them to get them out of the city. It's getting bad. He knows that Delos funded the event inside the opera house. So they're well aware Mm -hmm. of what's about to happen. Inside, they find this empty theater hall with a gramophone playing. And then a platform descends from underneath them, leading to a familiar hallway. I mean, we knew... Right away. Right away. I was like, this looks like what William saw his first time at the park. Yeah. Or going to the park. Leading to the train car. Mm -hmm. The same feeling. At the end of the hall, they enter a barroom area and get drinks. This is when Caleb wonders if they're going to talk about the lighthouse business. And then the room starts to shake and move. And Maeve thinks, I should have known. I ran away, but when I thought I was finally free, I just found the same old shit. That's got to be frustrating. It took her so long to get out of the park. And then when she was out, she was trapped in a, in a simulation of the park. <laughs> it was just and like, then seven years, she had freedom Yeah. off the grid. So it looks like... Rather than what we've been doing the last two seasons, which was expand our world away from the Westworld Park, learning what we think is the real world, now it looks like we'll be going back into the park. Well, Westworld's come to you. Mm. Well, that's true. The park is so big, it's here now. And the hosts, i.e. Maeve, are now the visitors. Maeve has completely switched positions from where she used to be. And the whole rest of the scenes actually are funny. They're the main scenes that I enjoyed from this episode with her going through the whole get ready for Westworld process Mm -hmm. and all the little jokes she's got. She's so witty. I love that character. Any health problems? Well, you know, I've died several times, but each time I come back better. And Sophia sort of looks at her like, what? She's joking. She's joking, obviously. Uh, Yeah, we got Sophia, who we remember was brought in as a replacement for Clementine in season one. She used to do the greetings. She comes to assist with their reservation, and she's taking them through the steps. She's got to take their devices. Caleb hands over his phone, you know, so they get the full immersive experience. Uh, It's Mr. and Mrs. Morgan's first visit. Caleb says he never visited Westworld, but Maeve was a regular She allows them to make their wardrobe choices and offers to assist Caleb, though Maeve dismisses her. And is there a flash of jealousy? It felt like it, right? We don't need you, sweetie. He's pretty useless, but he could still pull up his own trousers. (laughs) They're like, I know what you're about right now. Get lost. I wonder. There's a, a lot of energy back and forth between them. So like I said, this is the one area I wish they would keep playing up because I do feel a bit of that connection, a bit of my ties to them. Um... I just know it's about to get crazy in the park, so I wish we'd had a little more of that. But now we get these final scenes that cut back and forth. You see the man in black giving his opening speech to a crowd. He says, some of you fear revisiting one of our company's darkest chapters. Nearly 150 years years ago, ago, the world had its first great war. The globe was torn apart by fighting, decimated by a pandemic, crushed by loss. It was our darkest hour. And yet, we came roaring back. I think the public is ready to unleash their true selves once again. 
And so in the interest of giving the public what they want, we have broadened our horizons. And thanks to the support of the administration, I'm pleased to announce Delos Destinations has expanded its footprint. Created our own new world. We aren't revisiting the past. We're recreating it. Welcome to the Golden Age! Lights come on, a full city comes up behind him, and this is when Maeve and Caleb exit into the Temperance Town. This is really exciting. I love the reveal. I love how they hid the reveal. You saw the train coming in first. And you're like, oh snap, this looks familiar. Then you think they're gonna reveal it. Nope, they're gonna show you our characters walking off the train. And then the camera turns. You see the man in black one more time. Pull the lever, pop, all the lights are on. Whole new world. Mm -hmm. I'm excited for next episode when, you know, inevitably they go into some kind of speakeasy and Maeve is introduced to the new Maeve. Mm -hmm. Curious to see who that'll be. Right. Because clearly prohibition is not going to be going on in this town. It's not going to be true temperance, right? We have to have alcohol, violence, everything people are here at a park to get. So they're going to build it into how it would have been at the time. You got to go to this saloon and that's where you can get the drink. Yeah, maybe temperance has something more to do with the humans. Uh, it could be. I mean, there could be a lot going on here. I think we're definitely, we're probably going to take a stop down next episode, but then return. We'll discuss that in our spoiler section, our thoughts on what comes next. But for now, let's head over to our reverie rating. Okay, last episode, I gave an 8.5, you an 8.9. On a scale of 1 to 10, Jason, what do you give episode 2? Well, I went first last time. I want to give you the chance to go first. You tell me what yours is. All right. I felt this was a bit slow and draggy for me. There were parts of it I enjoyed. I love that we wind up at a park in the end, but there's not a lot new that's being unveiled here. So I'm going to give it an eight reveries. I'm right with you. I didn't like it as much. I know there's a lot of setup that has to go into it. It was still beautifully filmed, beautifully acted, amazing choreographed fights. And some Tiger Woods there. So I'm going to go with 8.1. Now we move on to our MVB. We're over on Twitter. After every episode, we ask you, who is your most valuable being? After one day with the poll up, keep in mind there's still two days left on the poll. So these are subject to change. We have the man in black, Maeve, Christina, and Caleb. I think the same four as last time. It's probably going to be with one or two other people tossed in here or there, but that's probably going to be the lineup, I'm guessing. So we come in at last place with 5% is Caleb. Oh, poor Caleb. <laughs> I feel so bad for him. <laughs> then tied for second and third place, we have the man in black and Christina with 20%. Yeah, they're lining up now, and we've got somebody else pulling ahead with a strong first. At 55% is Maeve. Maeve for the win. Eminem wrote to us and said, I'll give this episode an 8.2. This season is so promising and has set the bar so high. I can't wait for the next episode. Also, my MVB goes to the man in black. He is one of my favorite TV characters ever. Welcome to the golden age. I think this proves your point that if you're really enjoying the man in black scenes, you're loving this season right Absolutely. now. Wes says, Clementine. So happy to see Angela Serafian return. 
Also, in case you're wondering, that was Lily Simmons playing the wardrobe assistant on the train. The replacement, Clementine, Sophia. Yes. That we talked about, played by Lily Simmons. I'm now wondering if HBO execs took Jonathan and Lisa to a giant warehouse full of props and wardrobe leftovers from Boardwalk Empire and huh. begged them, please use this. <laughs> Oren wrote to us, said, just finished rewatching season three. What a great season. I'm going to vote for Caleb all season long. Also, you forgot to add Clementine as an option. Oh, but is it really Clementine, except for <laughs> that very first two seconds we get of her? I think I would have if it was just this Clementine kicking ass, but we saw her get killed by the men in black, so... That's what I mean. That was actual that was Clementine. Clementine. This yeah. kick-ass, so you're calling her Clementine, is controlled men in black's version of an assistant. That's not her at all. The way we keep having her come in and being this Terminator... Yeah. ...kill everybody. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone, for writing in. I'm sure... More people are going to write in after. Rob said, Haloris is replacing normal people in New York City with hybrids because they live in such dull loops and they don't even realize that they've been put into a host body. The senator's wife in episode two repeats the same actions that James Delos did in a hybrid body. When James Delos went crazy, remember they were trying to make him human? human? Mm-hmm. So it looks like this was uh, very similar. It took an awful long time. Like They were testing him over and over again for fidelity. I don't think they're testing her for anything. It's just like execute this one command, yeah. kill people, and then kill yourself. So I see the similarities here are that clearly when you try to take over a human mind, there's something in there that's revolting against it. This mm-hmm. is still, as far as we know, organic human brain. There's not a brain ball that's programmed in here. They're doing something to try to manipulate the thought process. And it seems as though currently there's just one master command that they're being forced to execute give this person this information or kill that person whatever it is once it's done kill yourself Mm. or have somebody else take you out so there's no true trying to achieve fidelity here or get to a place where there will be less dissonance Um, I think eventually like with the William in cryo that's what they're going to try to get to but this seems to be really early hail experimentation going on And yes, definitely some sort of fritzing that I can't wait to learn what's happening there. Well, thank you, Clatcher, so much for writing in to us. Remember, you can always vote and write in under that tweet, or you can email us, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com, or give us a call and have your voice be heard on the pod. Jason, who is your MVB? I'm going to go against the grain a little bit. I'm going to say the man in black. Mm, I could see, again, why you like him this time. I mean, he's doing all the legwork to get the most powerful people on his side. He's got a mean stroke, (laughs) and he's got style for days. The host man in black is the winner for me. Okay, I'm going to go a little bizarre, too, and go with Christina this time. It is still kind of repetitive. I don't know why she's even truly in this episode, but she's breaking out of something here. She Mm. doesn't go to work like she's supposed to. Uh. She fights against the boss's wishes. She goes to the center. She knows something is not right. And she's starting to pick up on these clues. And I think it's going to be part one of the true Dolores breaking out of whatever prison she's being kept in right now. And that has to be the only answer we can cling on to, that eventually she'll get out of there, Maeve will get free, and they'll be able to team up to fight the evil forces that are Haloris and the Man in Black. Yep, and that'll probably be next season. It'll take all season for Dolores to get out. Yeah, and it'll take all season for Maeve to free them of whatever 
park they're being put into and the forces being exerted by men in black. But I think eventually those are the two pieces that we are going to, as people, mm. root for. So maybe I'm not out of line to assume that Dolores right now, or Christina, is in the machine that the man in black just bought at the Hoover Dam. Because he said the code is in there. He doesn't know how to get to it. Maybe he's using this. He's going to keep running this until she gives a clue of, of the code. I think he thinks it's the code to her or to the sublime. Yeah, that he's trying to get access to. But I don't think she's there. That's like I said, I think she's in whatever this tower controlling new Rehoboam is that we have yet to see. Now, where and what is going on with that? I have no idea. (laughs) But that's going to be, I think, a long game. Yeah, I was just assuming it was that because another assumption is that this new park is somewhere close to that because that's what they said in episode one, that he's buying up Mm -hmm. the property around Hoover Dam. Now this Hoover. So I'm assuming the park is there. Maybe that tower is close to there too. See, I don't think that started out or is yet in their control. That's why I don't think it is. Hoover? Whatever the tower is that's controlling the the majority of people, I don't think that was of their creation. At least that's that's my thought right now. So it's a different... Okay. He's tr- they're trying to build a world of their own, but there was something that's been operating for seven years now to keep things the way they are, huh. and I don't think we've seen it yet. The lighthouse, whatever it is. <clears throat> well, Jason, we've come to... Summary Showdown! <laughs> Boy, this is going to be quite fun. So to remind you, my job is to find the best line in every episode, and Christina's is to find the first line and the last line of every episode. That's right. So I'll give you mine first. Both of them are tricky for me this time because they're both sort of two sentences put into one. So again, I'm wondering which ones. The first one I think has to be strung together. It's, hello again, hope you don't mind me stopping by. No, I think that works. Otherwise, it would just be, hello again. No, that's perfect. The second one I think I have to parse out the last part because it's we aren't revisiting the past we're recreating it welcome to the golden age so i think it's just welcome to the golden age i'm gonna leave that up to you i would agree with either okay now if you clatchers remember at the end of the season we're gonna string all these together like a mad lib to see how confusing mine is so weird already i'm reading it to myself because i now have four lines you'll have two right okay so here's mine and This is another indicator of why I picked the man in black, because I have one, two, three, four, just man in black. Yeah, he had a ton of lines this time. The first one, I thought I was wrapped in power, and I realized I was naked alone, as I have always been. I like that one. The other one, this one I won't pick, but we are all alone. So he does that again Mm -hmm. in a different part of the show. Uh, Another one, we aren't revisiting the past, we're recreating it. Yeah, that was the beginning of my line. And lastly, only afterwards you grow strong at the broken places. Ah, that was the Hemingway line. I also have hail. Well, we're, gonna, we're going to have to clean this mess up, aren't we? thought it was clever. And Clementine, I've always wondered why they call you th- the Secret Service. Aren't you kind of obvious? And I'm sure there was plenty of other ones, other great one-liners. But, uh, I've done my part, now you do yours. That's the Anastasia one when she says, free me. Mm. That's a good one. But I'm going to go with the Hemingway. Yeah. Only afterwards you, can, you grow strong at the broken places. That's the perfect line. Ooh. So far you've got art is a lie that tells the truth. 
Only afterwards, you go strong at the broken places. Ooh. Yours is going to be so good. <laughs> now, speaking of growing strong, we're going to move into our closer look. I have two parts. The first one is about Hemingway. The quote that they're talking about when the man in black is referencing his relationship with Fitzgerald is from Hemingway's A Farewell to Arms. And we don't hear the whole thing. The whole thing is actually important because this story is set during the Italian campaign of World War I relevant to what we're talking about here. It's a first-person account of an American, Frederick Henry, serving as a lieutenant in the ambulance corps of the Italian army. It provides a realistic and unromanticized account of war. He wanted readers to experience the events as if they were actually witnessing them. And Hemingway sought advice on the ending from F. Scott Fitzgerald, his friend and fellow author. Fitzgerald suggested Hemingway end the novel with the observation that the world breaks everyone. And those it does not break, it kills. So he said, go dark. And Hemingway didn't like that. He chose not to take his advice. So he did include those lines, but it's actually ending on a more positive note. When you take that quote out of context, it sounds very dark. But what he actually says is, if people bring so much courage to the world, the world has to kill them to break them. So of course it kills them. The world breaks everyone. And afterwards, many are strong at the broken places. But those it will not break, it kills. It kills the very good and the very gentle and the very brave impartially. If you are none of those, you can be sure it will kill you too. But there will be no special hurry. So he's saying the world's going to do its damnedest. If it can't break you and conform you to what it wants, then it will kill you. The way if the man in black can't buy you or convince you to be on his side, well, then he'll just kill you and turn you into a host. Mm. But in his opinion, the breaking is where you grow strong. And that's kind of what the man in black is saying. Like, I got to break you down first, but you're going to become something better. Don't worry. You're going to be host version. And that's far superior to what you are now which is a really crazy way of looking at things, but certainly his opinion. Yeah. Also, we see that this new park we're going to traverse into is the Roaring Twenties. Now, what's important to know about this? This is how it's described in the United States during this time period. Of course, there are many countries that had their version of it. We're talking about post-World War I, where during the time of 1920 to 1929, the nation's total wealth more than doubled. This economic growth swept many Americans into an affluent but unfamiliar consumer society. There was a surging economy that created an era of mass consumerism. Jazz age flappers flouted prohibition laws, and Harlem Renaissance redefined arts and culture. There was new music, new arts, new everything. However, this was also going on elsewhere. So that takes us into our slightly spoilerish section here of episode three. We don't have much, just the title and the preview of what we're going to see next time. But if you're afraid of that, we will see you next time. For those of you who are still here, we know episode three is called Anne Folle, or The Crazy Years in French. So this is the same decade of the 1920s, but just what's going on in France. It was coined to describe their rich social, artistic, and cultural collaborations. Now, essentially, it's the same thing, but why is the episode titled that when we think... This park is based after Chicago or some U.S. town during the Roaring Twenties. I have no clue. There's got to be something going on there, right? If it's indeed modeled after a French town, why? Is there an equivalent somewhere else? Is this just clever wordplay with the title? I don't know. But we also get 
a little preview. And I think we're going to finally come to what I want to see. Episode three shows Bernard waking in that room, all dusty with the visor on, presumably returning from the sublime. He tells Stubbs, the world out there is in trouble. And he's holding that little maze game, maze game thing. Mm-hmm. He says, we have a small chance of making it. So exactly what we thought. He went to try to get some solution. And he thinks it's possible. It's going to be long odds, but there's something that they can do to help. Now, when he woke up at the end of season three, Stubbs was no longer there. But um, is it just safe to assume when he walks out, Stubbs is outside? Somewhere. Yeah. Finds him. He just didn't see him. I don't know. And then Bernard says, she's the key. And then this new character walks off. That of, we don't know. Yeah. So Younger. Younger. I'm curious who that is. Mm-hmm. It looked like a slightly more grown Maeve's daughter that we left in the Sublime. Well, if Bernard was just in the Sublime. They're not supposed to age there, though, are they? Maybe they do in the Sublime. Or they can choose to. Yeah. It's very or, bizarre, but. Or Bernard said, we'll bring you back, but we'll make you a little older. So people don't recognize fight. you. Or that, too, yeah. Or it's to fight back. Less, less danger. Curious, but that would put the whole Maeve thing that you were talking it's, about back It's got play. to be because we lost that incentive for her, that thread a while ago. Yeah. And if he's going to the Sublime, I mean, who's the two people there we would look for? Teddy and Maeve's daughter. Yeah. Maybe he did bring Teddy back to start waking and that's what Dolores she, up. That's why Teddy's there. Doing all those other things. And that's why, so when Peter, who Teddy actually brought in there to wake her up, went a little nuts. Teddy came in and tackled him, mm-hmm. and then they disappeared. He was like, oh, shit. You're off script. Off script. Get him out. Get him out. <laughs> but Bernard's working the two, the team up. Like we said, we got to get Dolores and Maeve. How do I get them both on board and working together? That'll get us rooting. Yeah. Perfect. I think that'll be fun. Well, we'll see what happens. That's all we have for now. Any final thoughts on episode two? None whatsoever. I'm enjoying it. I hope the Clatchers are. If you're enjoying our podcast, please let your friends and family know about us so that we can get this water cooler even bigger. I think this makes watching TV even more fun when you have a community with you. So thanks again for all the retweets, the messages, the subscriptions. We love you guys. Until next time, this round's on me. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CKC Podcast. And if you'd like to support Jason and Christina and would love even more content, including bonus casts and movie reviews, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash CKC Podcast. This round is on me.